Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. Jennifer Marimoto joins me here today, and uh, you can learn more about what she is up to by going to madisoninvesting.com. Jennifer, is there anybody, any other place you'd like to make sure everybody goes, checks out, or is that the best? That That is the best, but also check me out on LinkedIn. You can find me at Jay Morimoto. That's my profile name. I, I post there about entrepreneurship and, and women in financial literacy. No, that's awesome. In fact, I'll make sure to have both of those links in the show notes. We're going to be talking about entrepreneurship, but I'm particularly interested in your view of moving from that corporate world into real estate investing and what you've done there. But again, it is madisoninvesting.com. But Jennifer, your husband was on the show like quite a while ago. Yeah, And I'm going to have that link in the show notes too. We, we were talking about passive investing for executives and professionals. That was episode 407 with uh, Spencer Hillegas. That was a great conversation and I look forward to having this one as well. But uh, I'd be interested from your point of view, how things progressed as you found your way from the corporate world to real estate investing. How did you find your way here? Yeah, thank you for asking and thank you for having me on your show. I was really impressed with it when when Spencer first recorded back in 2022. So I'm really happy to be here and share my story and my side point of view about how Madison Investing was born. So my background is marketing. I was a corporate marketer for, for 15 years. I focused on CPG brand management and then I transitioned into e-commerce and started working in more of the tech industry. And I did that for, for, like I said, 15 years. And let me just tell you, it was a grind. I loved it. I loved every, every bit of it. It was working 60 plus hours a week. And I was really focused on building my career from the moment I started it. I was really good at climbing that corporate ladder and I knew exactly what I needed to do to get ahead. And then things started to change once Spencer and I started a family. We have two boys, Corbin and Ridley. They are nine and six. And as a working mother who had to travel constantly and just be in meetings all the time, you start to see your priorities shift pretty rapidly. And I started to realize, hey, if I keep climbing this corporate ladder, that means less and less time I'm going to be spending with my family. And so I started really looking for opportunities to start winning back my time. And what that ultimately led me to was I need more options. Working the corporate ladder is great. You get paid a lot of money, but you are on a singular track until retirement. And I did not align with that strategy. So I decided to start paving my own way towards financial freedom. And that's when both Spencer and I started getting into real estate investing. 
And we started going down the traditional route of buying your your a single family home and renting it out. We did that a couple times. We bought locally. We're in California. We bought locally in California for a lot of money. And we put two tenants in the duplex and it was great. And then we we decided, okay, let's get more doors. Let's get out of California. And so we bought five houses in St. Louis, Missouri. And then things kind of started going off the rails. We started getting phone calls about frozen pipes, about water heaters. And even though we had property managers, we realized, wow, if we continue to grow this single family home game, this is going to be quickly not achievable. Our financial freedom was dependent on scale, dependent on growing our doors. And so that's when we decided to switch gears and start getting into multifamily investing and syndication. So we started investing in multifamily syndications and then storage and then other interesting asset classes. And we just started immersing ourselves in real estate and just really investing time into our financial literacy, figuring out where are we going? Where where do we want to end up? And that ultimately led people to us to really, as we were getting interested in this and we started talking about it more, people started coming to us and saying, what are you investing in? This is interesting. Teach me a little bit about real estate. Can I invest alongside you? That's how Madison Investing was really born. It was very organic. And I was working full time as Madison Investing was getting off the ground. Spencer left his corporate job just to continue to manage Madison Investing. And then eventually I left in 2021 to focus on Madison Investing full time. So what we do is we help people invest their money in real estate syndications. We help them put their their capital that they work really hard for at their W-2 jobs. And we help them put it in real estate investments that they would have probably not found if they were looking on their own because we spend so much time focused on the industry. We're able to bring forward really bespoke, unique investments to them. And so that's what we do at Madison Investing. Yeah. Do you think it was important to go through the pain of the single family home to find your way here? You know, it's one of those things where you you could look at it in in you know glasses half full or empty side. You know, I wish I wish we got to multifamily sooner because it is a really sound strategy. But we felt comfortable with single family, and that's where a lot of people enter in because they own a single family home that they live in and they understand that process of buying. So that's where they they get in. And so to that, I think get in when you're going to get in, however you feel is is appropriate. If that is single family and you want to go that route, then then go that route. Just get started. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious, you know, being a married couple, who latched on to the real estate investing first? And was there any convincing involved to get the other party on board? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I have to give credit to Spencer because he, he was working... He, he was working in financial technology in operations, and he he was working at a at a job that they they were offering their offering was uh, lend, lending products and it was technology company, a finance company. so that's when he started really learning about fix and flips and real estate. so that was that was his bug that that's what caught him 
it took him, it took him a little while to convince me, hey, let's divert some energy here. I mean, I have two young kids. I'm I was commuting over an hour every day. Like I was maxed out. <laughs> so adding another thing <laughs> to that dumpster fire was not interesting to me. And so he essentially he said for Christmas one year, I want you to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then let me know what you think. And I know, you know, that is such an entry point for everyone, but that is that is the book that really got me off the sidelines into the game. And I read the first five chapters on my commute into work and I came back and was like, all right, I guess we're going to do this. Let's go. <laughs> That's interesting. So I'd, I'd be curious, you know, because you had 16 years of marketing experience in the corporate world. Did you pull any of that? Like, what what did you learn there that you've been able to apply in the real estate game? Yeah, that's a great question because I'm I'm learning as as we continue down this path that my background in corporate, even though it had nothing to do with finance, nothing to do with real estate, it really lends well to my thinking and my business savvy in in Madison investing. So, so for us. You know, Spencer has a sales background. I have a marketing background. When we thought about going into multifamily and possibly, hey, let's let's run these buildings ourselves, we quickly realized, you know, but that's not playing to our strengths. Our strengths is really communication and 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 strategy. And so we realized that, hey, we we know other people that need to learn about this. Let's get the communication out there. Let's let's help them understand what this business is. And so that's one part where marketing really was important to shaping what Madison investing is. But then also I really lean on my corporate communication education just to really be able to clearly communicate to our investors. They want it, they're busy. They don't want to know the whole all the all the gory details or all the the fluff they want direct communication and they want to be talked to like they're human beings they don't want to be sold to so understanding how people want to communicate was is is really important in what i do so you you mentioned focusing on your strengths there is that when you started to focus on your strengths and picked your lane is that when things really started to take off for you and Spencer? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say we decided let's just keep things simple. Let's just focus on our strengths. Let's focus on what's working. And then and then the rest will come. And that's where we really we we saw a direct line into what Madison Investing should be focusing on. We didn't try to do everything. We just tried to do one thing really well, which is find really good investments for our network. To invest in. Mm-hmm. What would you say? To, what kind of advice would you give somebody who who's struggling, staying in their lane, picking their lane, and finding that path, that singular path, versus being entrepreneurs? We have a tendency of being distracted by the next shiny object. Yeah, it's interesting because in my day to day and in my network, I talk to a lot of people that are still working those W two jobs, and they and they hear about real estate, and it seems this really far off world that 
they just, they can't even fathom getting into because they're so like me, I was so busy. I couldn't think about adding just another thing. I, I would say you need to really just at the ground level, start with your goals. What's your intention? What do you want to do in the next 10 years? How do you want to retire? So really just bringing it to that foundational goal setting will add so much clarity. Then you can figure out if that's where I want to go, here's here's how I'm going to get there. And if real estate is that, then great. If M&A is that, then great. But at least you can have a goal that you're shooting for. Mm-hmm. Do you, would you recommend like somebody in the corporate world, let's say they did want to explore real estate investing. Do you think it's a, it's good to start with it as a side hustle or how, how far, when should they know when to jump in is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that corporate America isn't for everyone, but I also don't think entrepreneurship is for everyone. I, I think that you should dabble. You should spend some time learning before you you go whole hog and jump in. And that's where I really try to impress upon people that your financial literacy is something that you should take extremely seriously. I think a lot of times people are looking for an easy button when it comes to money, either getting money or knowing about money. And mm-hmm. they want to hire, you know, a financial advisor. They want to hire, they want to throw money, more money at the problem to fix the problem. And, and that that's just confusing to me because in my mind, why would you ever, why would you ever farm that out your own financial literacy? So I would say spend some time with your education and start testing things out, start investing in REITs or or passively investing in real estate to really understand that this is something you want to do. So that kind of leads me to what you and Spencer do today. Can you talk, kind of break things down a little bit? Because this your your model is slightly different from what's traditional, really, when you know, I think a lot of people might think think that you're doing syndication, but you're really kind of vetting these out a bit, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so the space that we're in is really figuring out who, what the right markets are, what the right asset classes are, if a deal pencils and who are the right partners to go in these deals with. A lot of real estate deals, they're, they're long time, long term holds. You're going to do five, seven, 10 years. So you want to make sure that the partners that you're going in these deals with or the general partners as, or sponsors, as people call them, that they're credible, they've done this before, and that you know that if if issues come up, that they can strategize and solve them. So so partnership and understanding who these partners are is really important. And that's part of what we help bring forward to our investor group is we establish relationships with these operators. We really get to know them. We invest with them directly with their own personal capital before we bring people, before we bring these partners to other people so that we can say, we see how they communicate. We we see how they operate. We see how they face adversity. And that's the value that Madison Investing brings to our investment group. So if you like what Jennifer is talking about here, I'm going to point you again to madisoninvesting.com or Jennifer's LinkedIn page. I'm going to make sure to have those links in the show notes. And if you found some value in what we're talking about so far here today, do us a quick favor and share it with one of your investor friends. So Jennifer, I'd be curious now, you know, you you do 
kind of a lot of the heavy lifting that frankly, I think what ends up happening is people go down the real estate investing route. They start with the single family homes or they start consuming podcasts such as this or audiobooks, and they go, man, there's so much information. There's so much to learn. I want to get into this, but I don't want to go through this. And, and I'm not suggesting that you're that easy button you suggested before, but the, it does point to leveraging partnerships or finding that mentorship to help you along the way. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that, especially in real estate and these busy professionals? Yeah, definitely. If you if you go through the general education, you realize that, you know, real estate is a space that you want to play in. It, that that in and of itself is a, is a large statement. There's there's so much to learn about real estate. There's so many different avenues. So once you pick the niche that you want to focus on, that's at that point, that's when I would say go find a mentor or a coaching group because you'll accelerate your learnings at that point. But I would say, wait until you find your niche until you do that, or else you're going to find a coaching group that's going to niche for you. And that's not what you want to do. You really want to kind of do that learning first and then get into it. That's interesting. You put it that way. Otherwise you'll find a coaching group that will niche for you. That does seem to happen, doesn't it? Where people kind of, they might latch on to somebody's communication style and and get sold into something that they might not be better suited for. Yeah. yeah. So you, it it this is just really an interesting process, and I would be curious a little bit more regarding the marketing aspect because I'm sure you have seen anything and everything now regarding syndicate syndicators marketing their their investments. Can you kind of point to some? do's and don'ts in that world? Yeah, I think when it comes to your initial offering, when you are when you are summarizing your investment to prospective investors, you you need to be clear and you need to be direct with numbers and say, "Hey, here's what we here's what we're going to purchase the property for. Here's how much we're going to invest in it, and these are the exact strategies that we're going to deploy in order to get this targeted return." And be conservative with your targets. I I think that a lot of times there's going to be sponsors that maybe you're thinking people aren't doing the underwriting themselves and and really figuring out how things pencil. And that's what we do a lot of. We do a lot of underwriting. We look at a lot of deals and we see a lot that aren't so conservatively written. So so that's that's first and foremost, pay your investors the respect of conservative underwriting and clear communication. And then after that, once you close the deal, be consistent with your communication and just be clear. Tell people what the vacancy rates are. And if they're dropping, be upfront about that because the numbers at the end of the day will not lie. And you need to be forthright with what's going on with the investment and the property. And so that's that's the other thing is consistent, clear communication. And if there's bad news, deliver it fast and then tell people what you're going to do to fix the problem. So could you give me an example of some of the worst scenarios you've you've come across? You you mentioned be conservative. I'm guessing you see some pretty optimistic performance. Yeah, I think in the past couple of years we've seen a lot of interesting things. You know, I think just expecting high growth to stay high in perpetuity is just really silly. 
I think you need to be conservative and understand that it's not always going to look like a hockey stick and there might be up and down. So you need to balance that out when you're when you're projecting out. I think there's a lot of people that have assumed that they that they're just going to continue to grow, grow, grow. And if you look at his if you look at history, you're just going to know that that's not how the real estate cycles work. You mentioned earlier to deliver bad news quickly with a solution. Is that a, a, I think that was really important to call out because I, I, I have a feeling that a lot of people will withhold or hope it blows over or something. Like, I don't know how else to put it when it comes to bad news. Is there any tips or strategies that you would recommend in, in provide? I mean, I don't want you to give people a script, but <laughs> how, how would you go about that? Yeah, I think you really need to take the emotion out of it and rip the bandaid off if there is bad news, but also be a partner with your investors and let them know that you're thinking about solutions. Don't just deliver news on its end. Really come forward with some solutions or ways that you're thinking about it. I think people understand that issues arise and they care more so what you're going to do about it. Not that this hasn't been a flawless investment. I don't think people expect that. They expect issues to come up and they expect you to do something about it. Sure. I would direct question here. How many deals do you review before you'll even consider investing in one? I mean, it, it depends. It depends on what's going on in the economy. But, you know, we look at hundreds every month and we we invest personally, maybe in one out of every couple hundred that we see. And this is after seeing a few deals from that sponsor and really getting to know them. That is, it's a pretty long vetting process that we put partners through before we invest our own personal money. And then once they come to the group, we got to make sure they they make us look good too. So we want to go through all of that vetting before they go, go forward. Could you share some of that vetting process? Like what you you start with 200 and you get down to one. Yeah. What are some of those low hanging fruits? If they don't pass the mustard, let's say, what's the first thing you notice that like just eradicates half of them? Now we want to know if they've had exits. That's important to us. We want to, we want to see deals that have gone full cycle and what the history of that was, you know, we want, we break it down. We want to look and, and underwrite all of it to see what exactly happened. We want to look at their communication style. Are they, are, do they, are they transparent or are they kind of, you know, overly vague with details? We, we want crystal clear communication. We do background checks. We want to just make sure like, hey, hey, is there anything you're not telling us? Typically, background checks go go through without a problem, but it's just something that we want to add in mm-hmm. there just in case. And and we just look to see, you know, is this a market that we're interested in? Is there is there any concerns in this market that we might want to add into our underwriting, you know, like insurance premiums going way up or property taxes going way up, things like that. What type of triggers do you have in place to identify any of those outside s- sources that can impact the deals? Well, we have to stay really, really in tune to what's going on in every single market. And it's not just the market in general. It's not just Dallas. It's 
it's are you drilling down to that specific region, that specific even city block that that asset is going to be in? So we really drill down into that specific asset when we're looking at at those specific deals. So it's really important to really to see the macro, but then also go to the super micro. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wanted to pursue your help for this type of thing, like what what type of questions do you ask of those investors that might be interested in? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're really, really good fit for people who want to get into passive investing and who are accredited. A lot of times people come to us and they've they've heard about real estate syndication and they they need help really weeding through deals and 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 knowing that someone's going to have a more finite lens to to what they should be investing in. We always say though whatever investment that you make, you need to do your own due diligence also or else we're just this other party, you know, suggesting information amongst all the information out there. So we really want to work with people that are going to understand this investment. We're not trying to cram things and, and sell things to them. We're trying to present information to them for them to th- then go make a sound decision. Right. If somebody was like in local markets, we all have some syndicators. Are there like the top three questions somebody should ask before they invest into a syndication directly? Yeah, the the full cycle one is an imp- is important. Uh, and then I always like to hear, hey, in in one of your past deals, has anything gone wrong? And what have you done about it? That's always a good one. And then we want to also understand who are their partners. We want to really get to know the entire general partner group and not just, you know, the front person who's really good at talking and really good at, at, at relationship. We want to know the leadership team who's responsible for the property management or the operations or the finance. So we like to learn about everyone. Can you share the best success that you've had so far? Oh, we've had a lot of successes. So it's hard to pick just one, but let's see. I would say we've had a lot of really great deals in the Dallas market where, you know, Things and the Dallas market continues to be great for us for investment. We've had a lot of solid exits in the multifamily space there. No, oh, that's great to hear. Just to remind everybody one more time, check out madisoninvesting.com to see if this is a good fit for you. If you're a busy professional, especially, I can I've I've stressed many times on this show that you it's you know, I hate to point to that book, but it's who not how in a lot of in a lot of regards and especially when it comes to real estate investing you need to find somebody that whether it's a mentor or somebody like Jennifer and Spencer that can help you navigate these waters it's not just enough to just throw money and hope for the best so Jennifer if you're ready i was going to we'll close out this episode with some rapid fire questions all right let's go What lie do real estate investors tell themselves and others? Let's see. What lie? Let's see. That everything will always be going well and that there will never be any problems or any risks. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially in in 2021 and 2022, are just thinking, oh, this is going to grow forever. 
They're not asking themselves the what ifs. What if the bottom drops out? What if interest rates spike historically in, in a very short amount of time? So I think that people need to take off those rose-colored glasses and, and look at things a little bit harder. Do you have a book recommendation or what are you reading right now? Yeah, so book that was really influential to me in not just professional life, but just in general. It's a book called Crucial Conversations, and it's about how to have hard conversations when the stakes are really high and how to have productive, good, crucial conversations. Oh, that's a good one. I'll have to check that one out. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, well, I would say, you know, you don't have to work a W-2 your whole life. There's a whole big world out there. You try on a lot of different things. It's There's not just, you know, one, one size fits all. I'd be curious, just to add on to that, it, was that a mindset shift that you had to break from when you jumped from the corporate world? I, yeah, definitely. I was stuck in a mold. I I don't know why. It must have been outside forces, institutionalized thinking. It was just, I thought that I was going to get a job and do that the rest of my life until I retired. And that would, that would be all that I needed. But I, I quickly realized, you know, once I had a family that life, life has other things in store. Mm -hmm. What single strategy process or tool have you implemented that has had a direct time-saving impact on your business? This is this is a good one. I have two answers if you'll indulge me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So one is you you hear a lot these days about hustle culture and you know grow or die and I I just I want to offer alternative thinking to that. It's okay to stay small. It's okay to be lean. I don't think people have to grow and and hire a ton of people to be successful. I think Simple is sometimes better in that regard. So that's that's one area of advice I'd have. The other is 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 more about process. I think that a lot of times, a lot of technology companies throw technology at you as a solution. And that is so far from the truth. It is all about process, understanding what the need is, and then finding the technology solution that's going to support that process need. Oftentimes it's backwards and it's because those darn marketers are doing such a good job telling you the solution before you really understand the problem. So understand that problem and then figure out the technology solution. Yeah, we're we're seeing that especially right now with the adoption of large language models and AI and and everything else, right? It it seems to be a band-aid for anything and everything. It's it's the new it's the new trendy topic, that's for sure. Yeah, I'd be interested in your opinion on that sometime because I'm it it seems to be there's sure a lot of tools now focused on marketing, writing, content, it, and and I I haven't seen it produce some of the greatest results. Yeah, definitely. I think it, unless you have crystallized thinking and a unique point of view, current day chat GPT is really just going to make you sound like everyone else and not have any distinct voice. So you need to start out with, with that. Sure. 
Well, Jennifer, is there a question or topic you wished we would have covered here today? Oh, I really, so a lot of my focus has also been in on financial literacy for, for young children and for teenagers. So that is a, that is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I sit on the board of the Financial Education Foundation that focuses on financial literacy for high schoolers. So if anyone gets a chance, go check out BAFEF, B-A-F-E-F dot org. It's a financial literacy organization here in the Bay Area where I live. We support educators with financial information and helping teaching kids about money. That is awesome. And I am regretful that we didn't talk about that sooner. Next time. So next time. So I'll definitely make sure to have that link in the show notes as well, because I, I, I can't stress. I, I don't, that's one of the most underserved areas in our population, in our schooling system. I mean, it's, it's shocking that this isn't even, this isn't even discussed any anymore. Yeah, completely. And in California where, where I live, it's not mandated in any curriculum. So that is something that we're trying to help out with. Again, it is madisoninvesting.com. Thank you again, Jennifer. It was great meeting you and I hope to chat again soon. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.